0: is not the media this is hell and there's a lot separating us from the establishment corporate media for instance we have never taken any money from any advertiser any commercial operation accepted a grant any grant or any foundation money we have been are and always will be completely listener supported which has caused us to be so broke so without profits that we cannot afford to be a not-for-profit But that's not the only way we are unlike the corporate establishment media, both privately owned and supposedly public. Since the very beginning, way back in 1996, we have been speaking with people from the amazing, wonderful organization Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. If you are not familiar with fair, become familiar, because in the wake of fake news, Many backed off from any media criticism. Some guests on our show even explained how they believe in this age of Trump and conspiracy theorists and denialists and alternative truthers. It was time to give the more relatively harmless media a bit of slack. Fair never did that, and it continues to give excellent media analysis and insight On a daily basis Today we are talking about The talking point of mental illness In the wake of a mass killing As that mass murder's cause The willingness of the media And the public to be in a rush To judgment of a mass killer Being afflicted with a mental Illness or disorder That's what we're talking about today But when we or the press Jump to such a conclusion It misses a lot of what mass killings Are really all about Why they happen and the people who are doing the killing. It also ends up unfairly stigmatizing vulnerable people. And the last thing we need is to be further stigmatized. Now there's talk uh, by leading politicians of rounding up and forcibly committing those diagnosed with mental illness. In a few minutes, we'll find out what's wrong with today's reporting on mass shootings and the impact on a group of people that are already marginalized and somehow disproportionately people of color, when we will speak with journalist, writer, editor, storyteller, and nonprofit fundraising director Olivia Riggio, who posted the Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting article, Blaming Mass Shootings on Mental Illness Doesn't Address Either Issue rationalizing the horrors of a mass shooting by emphasizing the perpetrator's mental state does little to address the larger issue. You can find that story at FAIR.org. You can follow FAIR on X at FAIR Media Watch. Olivia is not only a journalist, but a FAIR author, as well as FAIR's administrative and fundraising director. Her writing has appeared at The Independent, The Progressive, and Indian country today among other places her writing focuses on the importance of independent media and the intersection of art culture and activism you can follow olivia on twitter at olivia riggio 97 that's olivia riggio 97 producing is will Ippin. will how is your week going so far
1: Um, So far, so good. Pretty uneventful. Back in school after Thanksgiving break and uh, recovering from great hang with family. Too much food, too much alcohol, and overall success. (laughs)
0: That is success. When there's too much alcohol and too much food, that is definitely a success. So uh, how long were your uh, folks in town? Uh,
1: They just left this morning, so they were here for a week. And so, yeah.
0: Do so you do nice. anything else with them besides her sit around the house? Uh,
1: a lot of sitting around the house. Uh, grabbed dinner at Big Jones last night. No, no kidding. It was pretty awesome.
0: Uh, Mark, yeah. the owner of that place, is a huge listener of the show. Oh, is he? Yeah. Right on. Uh, he just sent me, and I think I'll be mentioning it on tomorrow's show. Uh, his, the chef at uh, Big Jones, has a uh, new cookbook out about Midwest cooking. Oh, right on. And so it includes everything from like you know. Detroit-style hot dog to uh, a hot dish. Oh, that's cool. So, will re- check that it's out. It's really cool. I'll bring it in. I'm a sucker for a good cookbook. Me too. Uh, so, I'm jacked up on Sudafed and cough syrup, so if I sound a little bit weird today or I th- sounded weird yesterday, that's why. I feel like a teenager who just dis- discovered the fun stuff in their parents' medicine cabinet. But I don't have COVID, and because of the pandemic, colds, even Miserable colds like the one I'm fighting with right now This one's really bad They're no longer miserable enough to keep me from doing the show Back in the pre-pandemic days, sure, a cold this bad would have laid me up for several days But what we have all been through collectively the last few years And the health scares I've personally gone through since February of 2022 Suddenly, colds are just no big deal Yes, I do wear a mask when I have a cold now to lessen the chances of me giving it to others. Prior to the pandemic, I would have never done that. But taking a day off for something as minor as a cold, no matter how bad this one is, and this one's really bad, seems almost frivolous now that we live in an age of a never-ending pandemic and the constant threat of catching COVID or its new alternative virus versions and variants yet again. Other than my ridiculous cold and uh, being on so many horrible drugs, will please remind us what is this week's question from hell for our listening audience? This week's question from hell is: What are you not looking forward to this holiday season? I was not looking forward to getting a cold, but every time <laughs> I see family, somebody has got somebody is bound to have a virus.
1: Yeah, the odds are especially this time of year.
0: Yeah, especially. In favor. Yeah, I know it's really bad. So we will share your question from hell answers uh, as posted on Twitter and Facebook after our talk with Olivia on the role of mental health in the U.S. gun violence crisis. The person with our favorite answer to this week's question from hell wins your choice of whatever This Is Hell swag you want. You can check out all of our merch right now by going to thisishell.com and clicking on support. You can leave your answer to this week's question from hell at our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash this is hell radio. You can tweet it at us via X at this is Hell Radio. You can post it on our Patreon page if you are a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash this is hell or in our Discord community. Or you can just email it to us at Chuckithis dot com, but we must have your answer by the end of this week's show when we are announcing this week's winner. As we usually do, which is following Jeff Dorchin and the moment of truth. Will, what's Jeff talking about this week?
1: Jeff contemplates renouncing his membership in the Homo Sapiens Club.
0: (laughs) Very exclusive club. Yeah, it really is. So uh, we are getting more and more responses from listeners on which interviews should be featured in our upcoming Best of 2023 series of shows while myself and whoever is producing that day's show will still be in studio and we will be doing live shows every monday through wednesday at 10 a.m central standard time here at thisishell.com with all new patreon episodes on thursdays also at 10 a.m but at patreon.com slash this is hell the interviews we will be sharing are from earlier in the year the very best conversations we had this year as chosen by you as well as the staff here on this is hell We've got quite a few suggestions so far But we need to hear from you So email us Post on Patreon, post on Twitter Post on Facebook, post in any way Contact us in any way you want to And tell us what your favorite interviews Of 2023 were Uh, So far we've got uh, quite a few Suggestions Um, one suggestion is having playing the interview with Alan Gibert, who was on to talk about American agriculture is about money, not food, which was suggested by Hugh, but seconded by Ray and actually got a third endorsement. So we're likely going to be playing that interview. Uh, there's a couple of uh, suggestions for us to play the interview we did with Kelly Hayes on movement building involving discomfort. Hugh Ryan, who was on the show to talk about the great reorganization of sex, sexuality and gender. Uh, Gerald Horn got seconded again. Uh, revolting Capital, when he was on to talk about revolting capital, racism and radicalism in Washington D.C. from 1900 to 2000. If we do play Gerald Horn's interview, that will be the seventh year in a row where we have played a Gerald Horn interview in or during our best of year year end review. Also suggested and seconded were was uh, Alex Hinton, who talked about the unpacking the myth's fueling fueling the right's transphobia as well as a couple of uh, a suggestion by somebody and then seconded by another one Joe Goldie who's on the show to talk about the long, long land war as well as Christopher Ketchum when he was on to talk about the green growth delusion as well as uh, luxury emissions both of those separate interviews that we had we did with Chris both have been suggested and seconded Ariel Angel was on to talk about Israeli-Palestinian solidarity for peace following the attack on Gaza, which again was sec- was suggested by somebody and sect- seconded by another guest or another listener. Other suggestions include family abolition, capitalism, and the communizing of care, an interview we did with M.E. O'Brien, a talk we had with Boyce Upholt on big poultry breeding bird flu and asking consumers to pay the price our talk with Noor Ercott on building Palestinian futures, as well as our conversation with Amanda Moore on being undercover with the new alt-right, Elizabeth Samet on remembering the good war, which there never was a good war, Nick Turse on Henry Kissinger's complicity in millions of deaths worldwide, Brian Muir in his reports on Brazil, Louis Gordon on the fear of black consciousness, and Ben Makuch, who is on to discuss his report Anti-Putin, Russian militant have ties to neo-Nazi and anti-trans figures. You can send us your suggestions. And if we play your suggested interview on our Best of 2023 series, we will personally thank you during that show. Coming up, the real role of mental health in gun violence. Will shares more of your answers to our most recent, this week's question from hell. We will tell you what will be happening, uh, or we'll also be sharing with you um, the Rotten History, this week in Rotten History. Live from the United States where the press has the freedom to be propaganda. This is hell. One of the things that we may believe is true is that mental illness has a lot to do with the violence, deadly violence of mass shootings that plague the United States. But there's a lot of evidence showing that whatever mental health crisis the US may be facing right now, it has little to nothing to do with the US gun violence crisis, which are two very different things. In fact, these two very different problems uh, that should not be conflated as it is so often done in the establishment media among our government leaders and spread by TV news talking heads actually put some people in danger they don't need to be in. Here to help us have a better understanding of the role mental health actually plays in gun violence and mass shootings, journalist, writer, editor, and nonprofit fundraising director Olivia Ruggio posted the Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting article blaming mass shootings on mental illness illness doesn't address either issue you can find the story the story at fairfair.org. you can follow fair on x at fair media watch and uh, you can follow olivia on twitter at oliviariggio97 welcome to this is hell olivia
2: hi thanks for having me
0: thank you i hope you're feeling better than i am
2: I hope you feel better soon.
0: Thank you. Maybe by the end of this interview. We'll see. (laughs) So uh, I uh, sent an email to you today, and I was mentioning how the three Palestinian students who were shot and killed outside the University of Vermont, uh, in reports they uh, now indicate that the shooter had a history of depression. What does that tell us as the reader of that article about the shooter their motives, or depression more generally? What do we learn from being told that a mass shooter has had a history of depression?
2: We learn almost nothing. Um, I saw one of the articles uh, that referred to him that way in the New York Post, which, I mean, come on. (laughs) Um, But they interviewed his mom, and I first want to say that uh, profiling a mass shooter, or I don't... He's not technically a mass shooter. There's criteria for it. But profiling a shooter in that way um, is dubious to begin with. You're giving them notoriety. That's you know a red flag to start off. But when it comes to mental illness and the propensity to commit violence, uh, the correlation is almost nothing. Um, studies show that mental illness contributes to only about 4% of all violence, um, and the contribution to gun violence is even lower. Um, and then oftentimes studies often differentiate, uh, uh, severe mental illness. So those are more, um, you know, things like schizophrenia, um, psychosis, things like that, and depression, um which they just refer to as, you know, mental illness, less severe mental illness. Um, And in either case, you know, that might be present. It's, you know, depression is present in like, I think it's something like eight to nine percent of the U.S. population. Um, but the correlation doesn't equal causation and in most cases it's not even a contributing factor should we
0: um, should we not say their names? should we not mention the names of these mass shooters because a lot of times we hear in the media that mass shootings are copycat killings that they are being somehow motivated by past mass shootings so What can journalists do in order to not spread the violence in that way? Should they just simply not mention their names? I mean, it took a long time for people to actually name the people who were the victims of racialized police violence. Finally, people were saying their name, while we always knew who the shooter, we always got the shooter's name. So should journalists not be offering the name of the person who is the shooter?
2: Um, I I think in... You know, it's kind of hard to avoid mentioning the name of someone. People, especially when, you know, in the case of Robert Card, who I obviously did mention in the article that I wrote um, and who was covered heavily, mainly because he was covered heavily in the corporate press. um, It's hard to avoid, you know, mentioning the name of the shooter, um, especially when there's a manhunt going on, like there was in the case of Card. I think what's important is when we're doing these profiles of the shooter and their family, like we saw in the New York post, um, with, uh, the shooter of the three Palestinian students in Vermont, we're giving them notoriety. Um, I think it's less about mentioning the name or showing the mugshot and more about the framing of the story as a whole. And, um, I do think overall the focus should be more on the victims. Um, But, you know, it, it is hard to avoid mentioning the shooter's name.
0: You write, since a gunman went on a rampage in Lewiston, Lewistown, uh, Maine, killing 16 people, we've learned a few things about the shooter. Robert Card, who was found with a fatal self-inflicted gunshot wound after a two-day manhunt. A member of the Army Reserve, Card had recently been committed to a mental health facility after he reported hearing voices and threatened to shoot up the National Guard base in Saco, Maine. So we've discussed copaganda on the show before, the very well-funded and effective public relations wing of police forces across the United States. That is law enforcement's propaganda efforts to shape public opinion about police or counter-criticism of police and anti-police sentiment. Does one of the first things the public learns about an alleged mass shooter being their mental health history, does that shape the way the public perceives the story in a way that might benefit the police department is there any connection to the earliest reports about a mass shooter being about their mental health history is there any connection between that and copaganda that benefits the police or their politics
2: i would say yes but i would also say it kind of benefits you know even broader than that the entire system as a whole it prevents us from asking other questions um and I want to make clear asking how someone like Card, who had a recent psychiatric hospitalization, documented concerns from family and friends, asking why he was able to have access to guns is not an unwarranted question. We do need to question um, the systemic failures and procedural errors that led to this. Um, but I think when you center, mental illness as almost an explanation like oh he just did this because he's crazy we automatically absolve you know the police plays a role we absolve uh them we absolve the entire system failure of the mental health system you know lax gun laws a whole host of things um and we almost kind of just explained it away by saying that this person is inherently defective and that's why this happened um Where, in reality, the answer is much more complex than that.
0: Have you seen a pattern in the way mass shooter stories are reported in the media? Because there's kind of a formula for TV news reporting of natural disasters and they with the, they start with warnings if there were any followed by the devastation of the disaster then first responder heroics and communities coming to help each other out then finally the resilience of the people and the media can move on after minimal cleanup and long before any rebuilding is done is there something similar with coverage of mass shootings do they rush to find a link to mental health and if so What does that reveal to you about the news outlets that report on mass shootings with the presumption that there is a very high likelihood the mass shooter had a mental health condition? So do they have a pattern when they cover these stories? And what does that reveal about the media, that pattern?
2: I think oftentimes they do. Um, I will say I do think it has gotten better Um, I used to intern for FAIR when I was in college and I wrote a kind of a similar piece about, uh, mental illness and mass shootings. Um, and I, I think the coverage has gotten better. I think there has been overall, at least in, um, a little bit more of the mainstream outlets. I'm not talking about like the far right outlets. Um, a a bit of a more focus on the victims, um, and things like that. Uh, there was also some reports where they were kind of focusing on mental illness the whole time, but then they really, you know, they tried to caveat it by saying, well, we don't want to add to the stigma, and we do need to make clear that the majority of people with mental illness are not violent. Um, but but overall, there is a pattern. I think there is um, kind of this search to find out everything you need to know about the mass shooter uh you see these um uh these what we know i mean literally everything you need to know about the mass shooter kind of articles um and that you know the information is being posted as it's coming out a lot of times there's just facts that aren't true um and it really muddies everything uh and so i i do think there's a pattern i I think it is improving, but I think in cases like this uh, it's important to call out where there's still shortcomings.
0: So is uh, mental health's issue, uh, the link of mental health issue to a mass shooting, is that a way for the media and for us, the viewing audience, to move on from a story? To accept the fact that this is an inevitability and we can't really do anything about it. People are going to kill people.
2: I think so. Um, And like I said, I think when you are able to attribute it to mental illness, you don't really have to think about any, you know, systemic, cultural, um, political even issues. um, You really can just say, you know, this is a bad apple. And that's why they did this bad thing. I think it can be comforting in a way. I also think it's easier. Um, So when you're talking about the corporate press, it's simply easier. I mean, if you're going to talk about mental illness like like these pieces have, um, it's lazy because they're not really truly addressing the problem of mental illness either. And that's the other point of my article. Uh, It doesn't explain why mass shootings occur. And it also doesn't explain how we can improve the system of mental health care in this country. Um, there was a New York Post article that was saying um, the state must intervene by making sure a sick person's getting the treatment they need. Um, and then they said, imagine if cops, prosecutors, and mental health workers had acted swiftly to put Card back in a mental health hospital and not let him leave. Without even thinking, okay, what is the treatment they need? Is it available? Are the psychiatric hospitals adequately staffed and funded? Is the staff trained enough to manage these conditions and keep both the patients and themselves safe? Does the patient ha- patient have insurance? or you know the ability to pay and what other stigma is preventing them from getting treatment. So even if you do want to bring up the issue of mental health, there's a whole conversation we can have there, and this conversation isn't being had. So there's not a meaningful kind of uh, search for solutions in, in, in either area
0: what would you say to someone who argues that the fact that the shooter engaged in a mass shooting proves that they have a mental health issue is a mass killing evidence that the shooter the killer has a mental disorder
2: the studies would say no um there are a host of studies on this um, the one that I mentioned with that 4% figure is from 1990 from the National Institute of Mental Health. They conducted surveys on um, people in three cities. I can't remember which cities they were, um, but they used, uh, you know, they interviewed them about their violent behavior and used uh, DSM criteria to identify mental illness. That's where they came up with um, that 4% figure. Um, Another FBI study found that uh, I think when when they were monitoring the pre-attack behaviors of the mass shooters, uh, they found that 25 percent of them had diagnosed mental illnesses, uh, including non psychotic So that's what we were talking about, like depression and substance abuse. That's not far off from the 23 percent of adults who have mental illness. Um, so so there's a, multiple studies on this. Um, you know, you don't have to take it from me, a media critic. (laughs) Um, you can take it from, uh, the experts who have been engaging in these studies for decades. Um, I think it's important to, it, it, like I said, it could be a contributing factor. Uh, it doesn't mean, or it could be an existing factor. It doesn't mean it's a contributing factor.
0: So if not mental um, if not mental illness then what are the primary factors driving the gun violence crisis? You write that Card's ability to carry out this tragedy is a symptom in the tragedy in Maine is a symptom of the gun violence crisis in the United States but the presence of his mental illness is not representative of the issue in the vast majority of cases of mass violence mental illness is not considered a primary factor so if it's not mental illness as a primary factor then what are the primary factors that are driving the gun violence crisis here in the united states
2: um there are a few and i think when we're talking about this it's important to talk about what's accurate in predicting mental health or um what's accurate in predicting gun violence Um, One of the reasons that red flag laws are so effective is because they don't require a psychiatric evaluation like the yellow flag laws that were in place in Maine did. So it's based on a person's behavior. Um, And so things that indicate that a person may be violent is more their behavior than a diagnosis. Um, Being... Uh, White and male is, you know, statistically significant, Um, risky and violent behavior, spoken threats, access to guns. Those are much more indicative if we're actually interested in preventing mass violence. Those are much more indicative of the risk that people might pose to the public.
0: You write that attempting to rationalize the horrors of a mass shooting by emphasizing the perpetrator's mental state does very little to address the larger issue at best and leads to dangerous mental health stigma at worst. If we need to explain, even justify mass shootings with logical, plausible reasons, then why not accept the far more plausible, logical, accurate reason and belief? That it's not mental illness driving mass shootings, but a gun violence crisis. Why deny? And, and do you think we are in denial that we are in a gun violence crisis here in the United States?
2: I think some of us are in denial. I don't think I don't think we're all in denial. Um, like I said, I I think it's easier to attribute this to something. You know, this person did this evil thing. Because they are, you know, because there's something inherently defective in them. So we don't have to worry about it because, you know, we're not defective. I think um, it also allows us to not have to truly interrogate the systems that are in place. Um, and, you know, the bigger issue when discussing gun violence and gun violence. In general, and as um, it relates to mental illness is suicide that's where we really need to be talking about the link between mental illness and gun violence um, and the stigma you know branding mentally ill people as dangerous leads to worsening symptoms re- reduced likelihood of receiving treatment, and it can also lead to discrimination you know which just perpetuates that issue
0: is there also A crisis of fear in this country? You mentioned the New York Times piece uh, with the headline, The Signs Were All There, Why Did No One Stop the Maine Shooter? From one week after the mass shooting in in Lewiston, Maine, that was reported on November 2nd, about four weeks ago. Which referred to Card having a textbook set of warning signs, including that he was hearing voices. You also point to a CNN headline from November 5th, three days later. The main gunman was a textbook case for a state law designed to remove firearms from people like him. Why didn't it work? But you also link to a New York Post editorial one day after the shooting, declaring even to the most untrained eye, Card is the literal textbook example of a person who shouldn't be allowed to have access. Access to firearms. You explain it needs to be made clear. While Card's mental health, mental illness might make him a textbook example of someone who would not have had access to a gun, it does not make him a textbook example of a shooter. A large majority of firearm deaths involving mental illness are, as you were just saying, suicides. These pieces did not make that distinction. Gun suicides outnumber gun murders overall but by a narrower margin. So that would suggest the greatest harm the guns can do is not to others that mean to do us harm, but ourselves, that the greatest threat we pose when armed with a gun is to ourselves. Do we want to believe guns will keep us safe and we need to have that belief that something can keep us safe in this midst of this crisis of fear? What does that say about us when we... Want to have a feeling of safety so badly that we will bring something into our homes, which is dangerous to first and foremost us.
2: Yeah, I think that does say a lot about us. Um, obviously, I'm not a psychologist, and I don't want to pathologize everyone. Um, but you know, I have seen the same narrative play out in the media. Um. I, I think everything you said, I don't know how much I even have to add to what you just said, um, but, but I agree, you know, we want to talk about the way guns can protect us and we want to, to be protecting that right, you know, um, and then we're not having the conversations about how they can pose a risk um to ourselves uh i think they're difficult conversations people don't like to talk about mental illness and suicide i mean it's only now just becoming kind of part of the mainstream conversation um but it's important to talk about you know the facts you might feel like you know like mental illness causes mass shootings you know the the data we have suggests that's not true. Um so we really have to be honest and decide where we go from there. Um and step 1 is not stigmatizing mental illness because that is when people don't seek treatment and that is when these guns that people may have in their homes or you know other means of harming themselves become dangerous.
0: We are speaking with journalist and writer Olivia Riggio, who posted the Fairness and Accuracy and Reporting article, blaming mass shootings on mental illness, doesn't address either issue. You can find the article at fair.org. Follow Fair on X at Fair Media Watch. And you can follow Olivia on Twitter at OliviaRiggio97. You write, while a critique of the weak gun laws that allowed card access to firearms is warranted, Harping on his mental illness doesn't add much context to the larger epidemic of mass shootings in the United States. Mental illness exists all around the world, after all. But only one country accounted for 73% of the mass shootings that occurred in the developed world between 1998 and 2019. Now, guests have been coming on our show for pretty much all of this century so far, arguing that the United States, as well as Britain, are in the midst of a mental health crisis of depression and loneliness. So to what extent are both things true that is the u.s is in the midst of a gun violence crisis and a mental health crisis but the two are unrelated is the gun lobby and its supporters exploit exploiting if you will the very real u.s mental health crisis to give cover for their pro-gun agenda
2: i think so um i think if i could read on twitter uh ramaswamy posted i believe it was the day after the shooting uh or the day of it was on the 26th of october he said we must remove these violent psychiatrically deranged people from their communities and be willing to involuntarily commit them um it's much you know more convenient for the far right and the gun lobby lobby to demonize mentally ill people um, and not talk about their own policies that are putting these dangerous weapons, you know. And, and in this attack, it was an assault rifle once again. Um, so, you know, it's easier to, uh, or I would say it's convenient to demonize the people and not have to talk about uh, their own policies and lobbying.
0: So what happens when we believe that every mental illness any history of a mental disorder is you know put, uh, potentially somebody who can become psychotic what happens when we believe every mental illness is a psychotic disorder what I mean when when we view all people diagnosed with any me- mental illness as potentially violent and dangerous what happens is when we go down that slippery slope to thinking somebody who may have suffered from depression that might be somebody who is psychotic
2: yeah um well you would be thinking a lot of people were psychotic then um (laughs) (laughs) given how prevalent like you said uh mental illness like depression and anxiety are um i think the stigma that comes from saying that all mentally ill people are dangerous. All, even saying that all psychotic people are dangerous, you know, like like the vast majority of people with severe mental illness will not hurt anyone. Um, and what happens is that stigma becomes yet another barrier from someone to seeking treatment, um, which just perpetuates the issue. And, um, and doesn't, you know, do anything to talk about. If if we could have productive conversations about what's wrong with the mental health system in this country, um, but like a lot of these pieces that I analyzed w- suggested that the problem is they're not locking enough people up. That's that's not the problem um, because the treatment that people receive in these facilities um Is often subpar, especially in state facilities, and could further traumatize people um, if they're not getting the care or attention they need, or if they're um, in a situation where they are not safe and they're not listened to and they're not getting, um, you know, like this language from the New York Post just (laughs) bothers me so much the care they need. And then there's no conversation about what that care might be. I think. These conversations need to be
0: had, right? I mean, you often see in the media, you hear from politicians that you know we are in a mental health crisis, and it's in. You can see it here in the way that we have more mass shootings than anywhere else in the world. Seventy-three percent, as you report, of the, the mass shootings in the world happen in the United States. So we want to view this as a, a mental health disorder or something that we essentially we can't do anything about. But what seems to be the popular opinion is that we can address these mental health disorders through incarceration. Is this idea of forcibly committing people with mental health disorders, is that just another extension of the mass incarceration project here in the United States, which has proven not to be effective in limiting crime so is this another aspect of mass incarceration in the United States when we hear politicians like Vivek Ramaswamy saying that we need to and Mayor Adams in New York City that we need to forcibly commit those who are mentally ill
2: I think so um just like we know that incarceration doesn't really lead to um to reform in you know it I think it's the same thing. I don't think that uh, locking people up and saying we just don't want to see this, it doesn't make the problem go away. Locking people like CARD in mental health facilities might subdue them for a time, um, but it doesn't actually address the root of the problem, especially if those facilities aren't equipped to treat people properly.
0: You point out how an article in the New York Times a week after the mass killing read, even as Card was confronted and hospitalized and had a sheriff's deputy come knocking, nothing went far enough. The Daily Beast had reported two days earlier, cops were warned about Maine gunman's declining mental health in May. A New York Post report was headlined, Maine mass shooter Robert Card claimed voices in his head were calling him a pedophile. Was corporate media reporting that this was all avoidable? And if only there was more affordable, accessible, quality mental health care resources, maybe mass shootings could be stopped. Does corporate media argue for expanded mental health care funding and facilities while blaming gun violence on mental health disorders? Because at least that would you'd think that we would have a robust mental health care system here in the United States, so in all these calls for better mental health care do they actually come to fruition? If if the gun lobby wants us to believe that it is mental health care that is the issue, if the media believes that it's mental health care, if politicians believe that it is mental health care, is mental health care now being addressed with the resources and funding that it desperately needs?
2: No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I think what they're arguing, like, like we were just talking about, they're arguing more for like, let's lock these people up. They don't seem to be spending much time um, understanding what the current state of mental health care, what actually happens in these facilities. Who goes to them? The majority of people who are put in these facilities against their will are men of color and people of color, despite the fact that the vast majority of mass shooters are white men. they're not, they're kind of wondering how I should phrase this. I, I, You know, they're talking about how we need better mental health care and then not doing the reporting to find out what that would even look like, to find out what's wrong with it right now um, and what better mental health care would look like. The media doesn't need to know the answers, but I think they need to have conversations with a diverse array of people who have expertise on the issue or who have experienced um, the mental health care system themselves and engage in these conversations. I think that's what gets us closer.
0: You write that the New York Times piece's subheading uh, a, a week after the mass shooting said shortcomings in mental health treatment, weak laws and reluctance to threaten personal liberties can derail even concerted attempts to thwart mass shootings. But the text of the article hardly addressed the subheading. It stated, quote, The system to treat people who resist getting help on their own is geared toward acute, not long-term problems. Involuntary stays require an imminent threat of harm and generally last from 72 hours to two weeks. You add, suggesting that involuntary commitment can prevent mass violence without engaging in meaningful discussion about barriers to effective mental health treatments and the trauma in and the trauma-inadequate mental health treatment can cause cause is, as you pointed out earlier, that's just lazy. So what can derail attempts at uh, stopping mass killings according to the Times? Apparently it's mental health care shortcomings, weak laws, and a commitment to personal liberties. It's health care workers, the courts, and our adherence to freedom. That seems to be the argument. It's health care, justice, and liberty, not gun violence. Is gun violence now threatening even our concepts of who should get what kind of health care, our idea of justice, and our belief in freedom? Are we willing to change all of those beliefs, whether it's health care, justice, or freedom, just so we can stay armed?
2: Yeah, it seems like one of the gaping holes in this piece was, you know, not discussing gun violence, Um, you know, they have, they're talking about this reluctance, they're talking about not wanting to lock people away, Um, they're not really engaging in meaningful conversation about uh, why these guns are even available in the first place and like i said at the top of the piece i don't think it's wrong to question why card wasn't or why he was still eligible to purchase these guns and why they were still in his possession i think the um conversation about gun laws and and how people can slip through the cracks needs to be had um but I think attributing the entire issue to mental illness doesn't um, really get at the heart of it. And uh, it doesn't really indicate an understanding of how mental illness works and certainly not how gun violence works either.
0: So are mental health orders? are they disorders? Are they being uh, criminalized? and dispor- disproportionately being criminalized against people of color. Is forced commitment, uh, is this about just rolling back the victories that have been made when it comes to mass in- racialized mass incarceration? Are we just using mental health disorders when it comes to our understanding of mass shootings as yet another way to jail people of color?
2: In a lot of ways, yes. I mean like we um fair is based here in new york city and like you mentioned before um we've seen the ramping up of uh involuntary commitments especially for homeless men of color um and there's so much conversation about getting these people off the streets there's very little conversation about what happens to them once they're off the streets and whether this actually meaningfully um you know, treats their mental illness. And I think those are the conversations we need to be having. I mean, not that they uh, explain gun violence, but if you want to have the mental health conversation, you can't be lazy about it. Um, You have to actually talk about what happens in these facilities and where their shortcomings are and how we can address them.
0: And it leads to, as we're seeing in New York City and around the United States, it leads to a criminalization of homelessness. The assumption is that if you are homeless, you must have a mental disorder, and if you have a mental disorder, then there's the potential for real danger and violence even a mass shooting, you write that public stigma, including branding mentally ill people as dangerous, leads to worsening symptoms and reduces likelihood of receiving treatment. It can also lead to discrimination by employers, the healthcare system, and the law. And you cite the American Psychiatric Association coming to those findings. Is that the point? Is that not something that happens unintentionally? Is the intention of those who want to use public stigma against other groups of people is the point to discriminate and segregate as a matter of public policy. Are they using mental illness as a way to discriminate in a way that seems to be protecting our safety?
2: I think so. Um, I think in a lot of ways it's it's very similar to incarceration, um, you know, in prisons. But I, I think. Um, it's kind of just like we don't want to see this we don't want to admit that this is happening in our society this is an eyesore you know it's interfering with my commute it's unpleasant to to witness uh so i don't care what happens with these people after they get locked away but you know let's get them pretty much out of my line of vision um and like like you just mentioned, that stigma has a real effect because it prevents people from seeking treatment on their own, which um, you know, voluntary mental health treatment is much more effective than involuntary commitment. Um, and it um, it yeah, it's it's just this discrimination of this group of people, and it's intersectional, obviously, because uh, people of color, homeless people, um, are kind of the ones being demonized the most, despite the fact that they are not likely to commit violence against the public.
0: And then there's, on on top of all of this, there's the criminalizing, uh, simply, of poverty. And uh, criminalizing of people right. who are poor, uh, in the assumption that you know if the person is homeless, not only are they poor, not only have they made bad decisions, but they are probably mentally ill, and again, a threat to the public. So criminalizing poverty is just a matter of public safety concern. You write a St. Louis dispatch, uh, Post-Dispatch editorial a week after the shooting uh, in Lewistown that advocated for tighter gun laws, also used vague and stigmatizing language that villainized unstable people, quote unquote. Is this the middle of the road? Both sides make good points, centrist, all allowing for concessions for those who are opposed to any gun restrictions point of view that attempts to accommodate both sides and maybe just maybe get an agreement on the slightest of gun controls which have the best chance at passing. Is this a way to appear to be advocating for change while still maintaining the status quo? Is this just trying to play both sides against the middle so you can get approval and seem like you are approaching this in an objective, independent way?
2: i think so because i think the issue with this piece was that it was advocating for stricter gun laws um while demonizing mentally ill people so uh they made this kind of like facetious joke about how lawmakers who um are shutting down any gun control measures are mentally unstable Um, because they're, quote, immune to common sense and beyond convincing. Um, And it ends uh, that 60% of Missourians favor the modest, rational step of keeping guns from the mentally ill. Um, Yet the only way they will ever achieve that imperative is by sending a saner delegation to Jefferson City. Until then, you'll just have to keep an eye out for that unstable neighbor. So they're, you know, they have a righteous argument in saying that we need stricter gun laws, but then who is like the butt of these jokes is mentally ill people.
0: You point out that locking people like CARD in mental health facilities doesn't automatically cure them. And considering mentally ill people are far more likely to be the victims than the perpetrators of violence, it certainly does not adequately address the mass shooting crisis in this country. Are the mentally ill more threatened by those who are not then they are a threat to those who might be considered mentally healthy. Are the men- the mentally, people with mental disorders, people with mental illnesses, less dangerous to the public than the public is to them?
2: It seems on a systemic level, yes. Um, because, you know, of what I just read you, this, this demonization and um, this stigmatization, which is... St- You know pushing them further to the margins um as far as like one-on-one you know acts of violence between people who are mentally ill and not mentally ill i don't have any number on that but i think you know from a systemic level these people are being harmed by this attitude which is not rooted in fact
0: one last question for you, Olivia. We've been speaking with journalist and writer Olivia Riggio, who posted the Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting article blaming mass mass shootings on mental illness doesn't address either issue, rationalizing the horrors of a mass shooting by emphasizing the perpetrator's mental state does little to address the larger issue. You can find that story at FAIR.org. You can follow FAIR on X at FAIR Media Watch. Olivia is not only a journalist but a FAIR author as well as FAIR's administrative and fundraising director. You can follow her on Twitter at OliviaRiggio97. One last question for you, Olivia, and as we do with all of our guests, I promise. Our final question is what we call the question from hell, the question we hate to ask, you may hate to answer, or our audience is going to hate your response. The topic of this question from hell is just pretty hellish. There is, or there was, what is what was known as the psychiatric geno- genocide by Nazi Germany, in which they attempted to eradicate schizophrenia through sterilization and murder, killing approximately a quarter million people in the process. Is Vivek Ramaswamy's call for forcefully committing those with mental illnesses the, a call that Mayor Adams has done as well in New York City? is that verging on fascism?
2: You know, I think it is. Um, I, I think that, um, it's just this wanton demonization of people with disregard, you know, of facts. Um, I think that is verging on fascism in a lot of ways. Um, And I think, like we have talked about, it is harmful, and it doesn't solve the mental health crisis. It doesn't even begin to question it, and it certainly doesn't solve the gun violence crisis.
0: Olivia, thank you so much for being on this show Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting has been supporting our show from the very beginning So thanks to everybody over at FAIR Janine Jackson, Jim Narikas, Steve Rendell, all the people over at FAIR Thank you so much for being on our show And uh, I'll bug you in the future to have you back on the show
2: Amazing, thank you so much for having me
0: Thank you Live from the United States where the law is far too often the crime This is hell. And if during that talk with Olivia on the real cause of mass shootings, mass murder, and the gun violence crisis in the U.S., not being mentally ill people or mental illness or disorders, but the real driving primary factor of the U.S. gun violence crisis is those who are at risk of committing violent acts if while we were speaking with olivia you learned something about the absurd conflation of mental health and mass murder show your appreciation for completely commercial free this is hell providing over 27 years of content that you cannot find anywhere else giving airtime to analysis like that of olivia's that you won't hear anywhere else and providing new content to you absolutely free every week since 1996 Including nearly 10 years of free shows that you can find right now at thisishell.com And we've been doing that without accepting any grants or any money or any kind of uh, money from our grants from any kind of corporation whatsoever We're so non-profit we can't afford to be a not-for-profit show your appreciation for all that and help us keep this is hell online and on air and assist in our efforts to make every show we've ever done available for free at our website by becoming a subscriber to our weekly bonus patreon podcast which happens at patreon.com slash this is hell or you can show your support for completely listener supported this is hell by visiting this is hell.com and clicking on support where you can see all the ways you can help out your friends here at this is hell Will, please remind us what is this week's question from Hell, and tell us how our listeners are responding.
1: This week's question from Hell is: What are you not looking forward to this holiday season? And over on the Facebook Hellhole page, um, we have a response from Marco G, who says: The high caloric food and commuting using public transport during heat waves and mosquitoes due to the fact that I live in the opposite hemisphere.
0: Ah, I see. Montevideo, Uruguay. Oh, there you go. There we go. Enjoy your winter and your mosquitoes and the heat. (laughs) Um, Pete V
1: says Santa. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ronaldo says... Consumerism, religiosity, and cornball sentimentality. All right. <laughs> All right. I'm Lu- sentimental for my cornball. <laughs> uh, Louis D says, dripping nose at L stations. <laughs>
0: Gross. <laughs> Gross. Um, you can get that at a radio studio. Yeah, you, know you sure it. can. <laughs>
1: it's the thing to do. Um, Allison H buys custody transfers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus <laughs> A little <laughs> close to the bone there yeah. Wow Wojciech <laughs> um, uh, R replies All of it <laughs> Okay uh-huh. There's a expletive before that but, um, <laughs> So that's the whole hellhole
0: Alright And
1: uh, where else
0: do you want to read some from?
1: Uh, let's do the other Facebook Alright We have a bunch of responses on here Lisa B says Figgy pudding hangover <laughs>
0: That's what she's not looking That's forward to. That's what she's
1: not looking forward to <laughs> this holiday season. Really? really. <laughs> uh, Ray uh, O right. says everything. Okay. All right. uh, Ray M says, not being with my family since I moved 2,000 miles away. No, That's pretty far. That is pretty far. Uh, John T replies, things that you may find urgent getting filed away for six weeks. <laughs> right. uh, Fabio Says manufactured consent. (laughs) All right. Andrea J says needing to boycott 90% of corporations in order to look at myself in the mirror without disgust. That's why you got to get rid of your mirrors. That's right. Solves that whole problem. No more self reflection. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Dan K replies this holiday season. All right. Uh, Wesley J. I knew our listeners would hate the holidays. Yeah, I know. All right surprise surprise here's a long one from wesley j massive scale pollution based on irrational impulse spending frenzied by a ritualistic habit shaped during an overglorified celebration of a cosmic structured violence as communication used to coordinate debt and empires using tribute to drive production with corvée labor as quote karmic justice or law but really a broad sociological conditioning of people to justify relationships of credit and debt with threats of punishment promising uh, eternally recurring cycles of dehumanization. It's a lot to chew on. So
0: uh, is that our first AI answer to a question from- Oh us? man,
1: I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe that was Jet GPT.
0: I don't know. <laughs> That'd be really God. hot. If um, somebody wants to answer with, uh, yeah, a word, yeah. go, go ahead. <laughs> it You'll might, probably lose the question from hell, though. Yeah, but it might be fun. Sure. Um, David S.
1: Uh, replies mandatory intercourse under the tree. <laughs>
0: mandatory? <laughs> wow. That sounds a little uh, wow. edgy what there. What ver- version of Christianity were you <laughs> raised with? <laughs> Good <laughs> Lord. What was unwrapping the gifts like under your tree? <laughs> right. Yikes. Yikes. Uh, David
1: Z replies happy holidays in quotes um, okay i'm not dumb enough with the fake inclusivity bs Well, i see all right well, we've got a range of responses exactly. from listeners on this fake one
0: inclusivity
1: and wow. mandatory intercourse under <laughs> the tree
0: and that's not fake inclusivity that's <laughs> no, authentic that's inclusivity all, that's right Anymore? Ah, uh, that's all okay. on Facebook So uh, again, uh, you can leave your answer to this week's question from hell At our Facebook page You can tweet it at us You can post it on our Patreon page Patreon.com slash thisishell Or in our uh, Discord community Or you can email it to us at chuckitthisishell.com. But we must have your answer by the end of today's show When we are announcing this week's winner Following Jeff Dorchin and the moment of truth It's time for nasty, gnarly, nauseous, naughty, nerdy Icky, drippy, sticky, goopy, gloppy, globby Gory this week in rotten history On November 27th, 1978 45 years ago this week Dan White, a 32 year old Vietnam veteran And ex-cop Showed up at uh, San Francisco City Hall In an angry mood So Vietnam vet Ex-cop Angry mood City Hall Late 1970s San Francisco And this being rotten history means Something really Really terrible Is about to happen Two weeks earlier on November 10th White, the Vietnam veteran and former cop Had resigned from the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Claiming that he was disgusted With political corruption And was suffering financial hardship Due to the position's low pay Which you figure he would have got a heads up About when he took the job a few days later he had changed his mind and asked to be reappointed but San Francisco mayor George Moscone had said no so now Dan White was desperate oh that's not good he was so desperate that he secretly packed a 38 special and claimed he had forgotten his keys He talked a janitor into letting him climb into the city hall building through a window, thus avoiding the metal detectors. And you gotta wonder what White said to the custodian to allow him to go through that side window because that must have been the greatest excuse of all time. And just like having the greatest joke of all time can be really handy, have one of those in your back pocket, it'd also be nice to have the greatest excuse ever up your sleeve so you can just pull it out whenever you need to. White then headed up to the mayor's office Where he found Moscone The two men got into an argument Which ended when White Shot Moscone three times Killing him White then ran down the hall To the office of Supervisor Harvey Milk A leader in San Francisco's gay community With whom White had clashed Politically in the past Calling Milk into his recently Vacated office White pulled his gun again and shot him five times Then fled the building within moments future u.s senator diane feinstein then president of the san francisco board of supervisors entered the room and found harvey milk shot dead half an hour later dan white turned himself into police and confessed he was charged with first degree murder but local police and firefighters called him a martyr and raised money for his defense and i bet i know why they saw white the murderer of Harvey Milk as a martyr. White's lawyers claimed that he had suffered from bouts of clinical depression, that among other things had caused him to binge on junk food. The argument was soon ridiculed as the so-called Twinkie defense, but it persuaded the court to lower White's charge to manslaughter and put him behind bars for just seven years, or again, I bet it was something else that led the jury to drop double murdered murder charges to manslaughter. Something else about Harvey Milk. I can't put my finger on it. Something about Harvey Milk. The reduced penalty was met with outrage in San Francisco, where peaceful demonstrations quickly turned into violent skirmishes with police. You know, the law enforcement officers who saw a double murderer as a martyr. Diane Feinstein who had automatically become interim mayor upon Moscone's death, made major political overtures to the city's gay community to help ensure her, her election to a full term in 1979. As for Dan White, who later admitted that the murders were premeditated, he would be paroled in 1985 after serving only five years in prison. The following year, he would kill himself by using a rubber hose to rout a carbon monoxide exhaust into his car. Now that's Rotten History, and This Is Hell. Will, who is our final guest on this week's show? Uh,
1: We have the return of regular This Is Hell contributor, Brian Meyer, who reports to us from Brazil. Brian is co-author of the new study, Anti-Corruption and Imperialist Blind Spots. The role of the United States in Brazil's long coup, as brian tells us three years in the making this is the first peer-reviewed academic study of the u.s involvement in operation car wash proving that the u.s department of justice was involved in the coup as a matter of public record since 2016.
0: and what's jeff talking about during this week's moment of truth Uh, again
1: Jeff contemplates renouncing his membership in the Homo Sapiens Club.
0: Don't forget, beginning Monday, December 4th, and running throughout all of December, as well as during the first week in January, This Is Hell will be live streaming, podcasting, and airing the very best of 2023. Our favorite interviews of the year, as selected by listeners and the staff here on This Is Hell. Tell us what your favorite interviews were, who were your favorite guests, and if we play any of the conversations you picked, we will thank you personally on air. Again, all you have to do is just email us your favorite or favorites or DM us via X or post it at our Discord community under our announcement in the general category or message it to us via Facebook or leave your reply to the comments at our Facebook page or at the Welcome to the Hellhole uh, Facebook group or share them with us via the announcement on Patreon. We also hope to see, see you all on Wednesday, December 20th, Winter Solstice Eve for the annual This Is Hell Holiday Office Party, which will be held during our regularly scheduled office hours at Kerry's Lounge, 2251 West Devon Avenue beginning around 6 p.m. that evening. Again, that's Wednesday, December 20th. And yes, This Is how office hours are happening this week on Wednesday evening, as they do most every Wednesday evening. And I hope to see you out back at the fire pit this week, because it is going to be cold outside. Bringing you bong-hitting journalism since 1996, This Is Hell.